So there's a lot going on in our lives, in our world, in our community, and this is an invitation to pray, especially as, if you don't know, I mean, the news has been covering it, that little by little some of the churches in, some in, in the New Orleans area are getting the news of, of how they're going to consolidate, or some are closing, or whatever it's going to be. So just pray for that. It's no surprise when the parishes had sent their proposals of what they suggested, um, but it's kind of difficult, obviously. So this has been kind of a hard time, and it's not, this is just kind of beginning. And unfortunately, I think it was meant to be a conversation of the pastor sharing with his community what was going to happen to their community and how they're going to be merging with another community. But I think the news kind of spun it a different way, and that's unfortunate. There was a statement on Friday clarifying some, some misrepresentations by the media. But we do pray for that. There's a lot in our church to, to pray for and keep in our hearts. Our Lord gives us a real profound answer to this question of a, of a scholar of the scriptures who was trying to stump him. Hey, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament in the Jewish scriptures. Which one is the greatest? And they were trying to trap him, trying to see which one he would pick, how he would obviously get it wrong. And, and he comes back. But I want to suggest that the way he describes it, when he says the whole law and the prophets, the entire revelation of God, all that God has said to you and to me, the meaning of life. Y'all know what the meaning of life is? No, nobody knows. No, we know. He says it. it can be summed up in two things. Love. The Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and your strength. And your neighbor as yourself. So if anybody asks you, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of your life? It's not, well, you know, you got to figure that out on your own. That's a journey. You don't know. You can figure it out. No, you know. And the sooner you know, the better you live your life. But everything hinges on this. And you notice our Lord doesn't say, it can be summed up in, be nice people. That's not what he says. It can be summed up in, follow all the rules. He didn't say, there's no one most important. You've got to follow all 613 because they're all the law. So follow the rules. That's not what he said. He also didn't say, you shall avoid any sin. Don't do anything bad. Christian life and Christian virtue, the Christian purpose of life, is not a thou shalt not. Rather, all the commandments, all the beliefs, all the morality we teach is towards thou shalt love. And with all your heart, God first, God most, and your brother, your friend, the stranger on, your, on the street, even your enemy. As you should love yourself. That's how he says it here. You notice at the end of the gospel story, he actually says, as I have loved you. Which kind of ups the ante a little more. That's the meaning of life. That's the purpose of our lives. That's why we're here. That's all the summary of all God has said. I want to read to you something that I was always struck by when I first read it. Because a lot of times we're thinking, well, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, how come the church didn't teach this before? How come the church always got hung up on, on this rule or that teaching? Or, or why is the church against these people or those people? How come certain people are, are not good enough for the church? How come, you know, you're excluded if you do this, that, or the other? How come the Old Testament is always against, I don't know, women or non-Jews or Gentiles, whatever? And it's like, actually, that's not the way it was. If you read it, even the first reading gives a little insight as to how the Jewish people were told to treat women, to treat non-Jewish people. And it's very profound. It's not the simplistic 
caricature that is often presented today. But I was struck because a lot of times we think, oh my gosh, the church in the Middle Ages was all about rules, and if you don't follow the rules, you're going to hell, and here's the, you're going to get, you know, the Inquisition is about killing people who don't follow the rules, and everybody needs to be this religion, and we're making sure you leave your religion to become our religion, because that's what's the best. And it's such a false caricature. This was my favorite insight a few months ago. I was like, wow, this is profound. This was written in the Catechism. It's quoted in our current 1980s version of the teachings of the faith, but it's quoting one from the Council of Trent in the 1500s. In the 1500s, the Church summarized all of her catechetical teachings, the ones about what you believe about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what you believe about yourself, all the moral teachings of the Church, how the Church is to treat non-Christians, non-Catholics, all those catechetical teachings. You know what the Church said about them? In the 1500s, the whole concern of Catholic doctrine and its teaching must be directed towards the love that never ends. Whether something is proposed for belief, for hope on our path to heaven, or, poor, or, towards, or for moral action, the love of our Lord must always be made accessible so that anyone can see that all the works of perfect Christian virtue spring from love and have no other objective than to arrive at love. It was said in the Old Testament, our Lord highlighted it again. It was always the teachings of the Church, it's always the context of every teaching of the Church. It struck me that if there is a teaching, or a belief, or a practice of the Catholic Church that leaves me feeling, or leaves someone else, a friend of mine feeling, that God's love is not accessible to them, I'm not worthy. Or God doesn't love me because I am such and such a way. Or I did such and such a sin, so therefore God can't love me. If anyone leaves without understanding, something was lost in translation. Because all of the teachings of the church are directed towards love and are there to make the love of God accessible, not inaccessible. I think it was St. Leo the Great that summarized all of the moral teachings of the church in one. O oh, Christian, know your dignity. Know how much you are worth. Know how much you are loved. And then everything else follows. You live differently. So the entire Bible, the entire catechism, all the teachings that we live and live out hinge on love for God and love for neighbor. So I wanted to share just a few tidbits, a few practical ways of doing that. First of all, when we talk about love for God, St. John, who experienced it himself first, said, actually, it's not about our loving God. Love consists not in what we do for God, but in God who has loved us first. So the first step towards loving God is pondering all the ways that God has loved you. We have to live in that. That's actually why the, the, when, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, do this, not just because you have to check the box, and if you don't go to Mass, you're going to hell. Do this to remember me. You read the scriptures, you read all that God has done and said, you live out the Mass, you go back to Calvary and the resurrection from the tomb, and you remember and ponder all that God has done for you. Footnote, a good practice is to bring a journal with you when you pray or when you're at Mass. Bring a journal so that you write down things that strike you about how God loves you, where God has touched your life. Because it's like, if you start doing it, you notice it's page after page after page of ways that God has touched my life. 
when we see how God has loved me, it becomes a little easier to love him in return. And it's not so much a command, but as a natural flow of gratitude. There was a college student, and after she shared some of her story and her struggles, she was on retreat, she was having a deep conversion. She's like, I just never realized how much my mom loved me. She was crying as she shared that. I never realized how much my mom loved me. And from that moment on, loving her mom wasn't a rule to follow. It was the obvious reaction. And to love your mom greatly. And all the more so, when you see what God has done, loving Him with all my heart becomes easy. The spoiled child, the entitled child, no, mom gives me this, mom gives me that, because I deserve it, because that's her job, that she's supposed to, I'm her son, she's supposed to. You miss it if you don't realize it. We are encouraged, at least on Sundays and holy days, like that's what, the minimal amount of time to spend remembering the Lord. We're encouraged to read the scriptures in our prayer, to remember the Lord. We're reminded to fast, because love is a muscle. Our natural fallen tendency is selfishness. Love takes practice, takes self-denial to love God first. I'm too busy for God. That's why I have to deny that tendency towards busyness, to actually love Him first. It's also good, another way of saying I love you is I'm really sorry for the ways I've neglected you, hurt you. So we do, we go to confession to experience that, like, Lord, I really am sorry. And if you take time to prepare my confession, again, it's not a rule I follow, it's an action of love for God that brings me to confession. When I pray, it might be good to kiss, to kiss the crucifix. If you have a crucifix, if you don't have a crucifix, get a crucifix. But sometimes when you pray, kiss the crucifix. Because it means something to me that he laid down his life for me. And my actions help cultivate more and more of an attitude and feeling of love when I realize how much I've been loved. That's love for God. And then he goes on, from that experience of God's love for me, it just flows also naturally that I would share that love with my neighbor, the brother or sister that's my favorite brother or sister, the brother or sister that I can't stand, the neighbor whose name I don't even know down the street, the person in church who I haven't met yet, the guy on the street corner asking for help. The command is not give that person 10% of your income or something like that. Check, I did it. The command is love that person. In other words, when they leave an encounter with me on the football field after I tackle them, in the dance studio when I get the role that they wanted, or they get the role that I wanted, when there's some encounter between me and my neighbor, whatever happens, that person should leave feeling loved, feeling seen by me. A lot of times, the easiest thing to do, you know, the easiest things to do is, is put money in the collection. Check, I love somebody today. I put money in the collection. You didn't do anything but put money in a collection. If you didn't strive to love that person who might benefit from that donation. And then all that we do, it's not, again, it's not about making me a better person. That's not really the point of life. It's to make sure that the people who encounter me whether I'm a good person or working on becoming a better person, they need to feel more love, more loved by me. 
And through me, they feel God's love. That's why Jesus would say, love one another as I have loved you, because that way, they won't feel just your love. They'll get a taste of mine. That's the purpose of your life. That's why we're here. And again, it starts from receiving first. Do I know how much I've been loved? And as I come to realize how much God sees me, that someone sees me all the time. When my parents don't manage to do it so well, when my siblings don't seem to see me, I was number eight. Y'all think I was seen? Forget it. I was that lost child that no one remembered. Oh yeah, we have that, that third son somewhere. Okay. We, we want to ponder these things. There's a great... Um, I mean, if you haven't seen Hanville's doing the play Frozen, it's probably really beautiful. I'm trying to get to see it if I can. But um, in Frozen, I just appreciated, like, Anna's love for Elsa. Like, Elsa didn't give Anna anything at first. She kind of locked herself in a room for, apparently, 15 years. But anyway, um, at the end of the day, the message was Anna telling Elsa, like, no matter how you treat me, you will know that you are loved. That's a little bit of the Christian life. No matter how you treat me, you will know that you are loved. And I was always struck when John Paul II died. It was the funeral for Pope John Paul. And President Bill Clinton was at the funeral. Actually, it was kind of neat. He, he was, it was like American President Clinton next to former President Bush, next to uh, uh, Israeli and Palestinian leaders, like next to each other at the funeral for Pope John Paul II. Only the Pope could do that. Anyway, um, President Clinton, and he was obviously at times the, the, his... Politics were not on the same wavelength with Pope John Paul, especially in topics of life. So they often disagreed. Plus, President Clinton said, you know about John Paul II? You didn't always agree with him, but you knew he was on your side. I think similarly, Mother Teresa, it was discovered later that she'd had an ongoing correspondence with Hillary Clinton. And again, they were not on the same political spectrum. They often would have worked in different directions. But at some point, Hillary Clinton told someone who was talking to her towards the funeral, on the way to the funeral of Mother Teresa, she said, I, I can never understand why this woman kept writing me letters. I thought Catholics hated me. But here Mother Teresa just showed me love. So it's important for us to understand that. This is the Christian life. This is why we're here. This is what the world is so starving for. And sometimes the last place they think they can find it is the Catholic Church, but the opposite is true. If we are who we are supposed to be, that was John Paul II quoting St. Catherine, if you are who you should be, Christian, Catholic, if you love as you should, if you live out the meaning of your life the way it is, you will set the whole world ablaze. As we approach the Blessed Sacrament, that's living sign of the beating heart of Christ blazing with love for you and for me. May we not fail to be touched more by that love. May it change the way we look at ourselves and look at one another. May it change the way we speak to each other after Mass, speak to our friends or neighbors or strangers at school, and the way we bring that love to our co-workers and every person that the providence of God puts us in touch with. Amen? Amen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph.